Hi there, and welcome to the Rash Cast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. So, uh, last week we promised you that if the Nats stayed interesting, we would stay broadcasting. And uh, the Nats stayed interesting, so we're back. Yeah. Uh, it was an exciting week. The Nats went 4-2. Yeah. and two. Uh, they the, the real excitement of the week came in the two Phillies games. Uh, that's really, I guess, what we're going to focus on. Uh, the Marlins series, they split two and two in Miami. Wasn't very interesting. Not a lot of interesting no, I mean, things The happened. only takeaway is Lester is frustrating. Joe Ross looked Lester's, great. Lester's, yep. Uh, uh, Lester's frustrating. Uh, and uh, Eric Fetty is hurt, which is not good which news. Which not great. Which is kind Especially of funny. That, our second best start of this year. Right. It's kind of funny that we're at this point of the season and we're lamenting the loss of Eric Fetty. But uh, that's where we are. Yes. Anyway, the Nats are, as of this moment, coming into a one-game series, a make-up game against the Mets. They are four back of the Mets, alone in second place, and they are a game behind 500, which is not how yeah. you say that. Uh, 37 and 38. Right. Uh, words are hard, but yes, they're they a are. game under 500. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's get going on that Philly series. So, uh, I know two you had a rant you wanted games. to go on. Yes, I did. Uh, so as you know, if you watched the first game of the Phillies series, uh, Max Scherzer got checked for pine tar. Uh, he was checked in the first inning. He gave a glower to the uh, glower, a glower to the a, you know to the big cameras. Glower. It's six letters. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a ten dollar word. It's six letters. It it just means a stare. Yeah, I know what it means. It's not that big of a word. I'll have okay, to come Mr. up with S-A-T a bigger crap. word to describe it. Yes. Uh, I can't think of one right now. But anyway, he stares. I am an elitist, mm-hmm. using all my fancy big talking words. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Max Scherzer looked. Is that better? Looked? Yes. Is that Nothing good enough? more than five letters. You have to abbreviate Scherzer's name to Scherz. <laughs> yes, this is a podcast for the masses here. Exactly. We assume, we assume that none of the people who listen to this podcast, none of the 60 or so people who listen to this podcast have graduated from high school or listen, even if indeed they, If they've made a decision to listen to this podcast, they can't be very smart. <laughs> There's got to be something wrong with their heads. <laughs> Thank uh, you to our listeners. <laughs> Yes, uh, the people who berate me on Twitter for not having good audio quality. We love you. We don't intend to do anything to fix the audio quality. But we like that you're out there. Yes. No, no, probably. Uh, Anyway, uh, Max Scherzer stared at the the cameras, made a big show of uh, being a dick about the new... uh, pine tar slash substances rule. Uh, he was checked a second time, continued to be a dick about it. Then... I mean, the the, the third time, though, like, you know, it's a lot to be checked The third that time wasn't times. him. The yeah. third time, Joe Girardi, this wasn't a... It was a also, specific also, wait, spot Going check. back to it, though, the second time, aren't they only supposed to be checked once randomly at the game, or is it multiple times? 
No, multiple times. Uh, mm. I saw on the broadcast that yesterday, uh, or not yesterday, because that was Scherzer again, but two days ago, um, Patrick Corbin got checked after like the first and the fourth innings. Like they they have made a habit out of checking starting pitchers as they come back from the dugout, pretty much regularly. Mm-hmm. Not every inning, but regularly, which is smart because if if pitchers know that there's only going to be one check and it's going to be in the first inning then they can avoid that uh, pretty easily uh, just by not putting stuff out in the first inning and then going to get it in the, the second or third. But anyway, uh, more importantly, in the fifth inning, or more hilariously, in my opinion, in the fifth inning, Joe Girardi sees Max Scherzer going to his hair a lot, uh, which he admitted that he was doing and admitted he had never done it before. Scherzer's explanation, completely believable, and I, I have no reason to doubt him or believe that he was doing anything illicit on Monday, was that he just couldn't get enough sweat anywhere on his body except for his hair to mix with sweat and rosin. But mm-hmm. you got to remember, Max Scherzer was mentioned by name uh, by someone who was fired by Major League Baseball for sticky stuff. The only person who was fired at this point. You know, there's... An expectation of special scrutiny for a guy like that. Uh, And he was doing things that he'd never done, admitted that he'd never done. I can see why Girardi thought to have him checked again. Now, was it not gamesmanship at all? I'm not going to say that. Like, I'm not going to say Girardi had reason to expect that he was doing something because Max Scherzer is not an idiot. And if Max Scherzer was so dumb as to gunk up, the day they start enforcing the new rules, uh, he probably wouldn't have made the, this far in his career yeah. or in his life. But I, mean, I agree. I agree with you on, on most aspects of that. I do think that, you know, some things I, I think, I mean, we haven't really talked about our thoughts generally on this new rule of the cold turkey no. cutting everyone off completely. And there's, uh, yes, to some extent they need to get out like, you know, spider tack you know, other things like spider tack, but like things like Vaseline and sunscreen, those have been used in baseball forever. Like that's always been a part of baseball. And well, so it depends on what you're talking about. Like if you're talking about Gaylord Perry, you know, rubbing up his gasoline or his Vaseline ball, like that mm-hmm. was cheating. And well, it's not, it's not bad that that's not in the game anymore. Well, so we did the same exact thing with sign stealing. Like there's mm-hmm. a there's a difference between or maybe there's no practical difference, but there's a difference in how people see it between cute quirk of the sport like the 51 Giants or like Gaylord Perry or like, you know, Joe Necro getting caught with an emery board in his back pocket and uh you know what we see here, which is this sort of like mechanistic like team directed team scientists working on ways to come up with substances to make the ball spin more type stuff like that's no fun that doesn't have the same kind of you know joy to it but that's not really the problem here the reason that this is happening is because offense is down the reason it's getting implemented mid-season is because offense is down and Baseball is bored and tired of the three true outcomes. And I do think that this will, to some degree, help with yeah, that problem. Yeah, I agree problem. with that, too. 
I think I don't think it's going to speed up the game though. I think if anything, it's going to do the opposite. However, I think you're going to oh, see yeah. way more foul balls. You're going to see pitch counts skyrocket. Pitchers, you know, get out knocked out much earlier because if you don't have that last oomph on your fastball, if you're a guy like Scherzer, if you're a guy like Garrett Cole, and you can't put away guys with your knock your wipeout pitch, you're going to see a lot more foul balls in play. You're going to see a lot more, you know, just lengthening of at bats, and it's going to slow down the game even more. That might be true. Uh, you know, it might be that we see because pitchers are still going to throw as hard as ever, uh, unless you listen to and believe Tyler Glass now, which I'm not sure I do yet. That you can't grip the ball as hard, and that you may not be able to throw as hard, or that if you try and throw as hard, your elbow is going to explode. Uh, but. We don't know yet. We don't know what the effects of this will be. I guarantee you that it might do something. Well, I guess that's not really a guarantee. Uh, I think it might do something about the strikeout rate problem. I don't know if it's yeah. going to do anything about the pace of play problem. Uh, I think it'll do something about the offense problem. I have so, no way of being sure. Was, there was something I was interested in looking out up, and I looked this up a couple weeks ago for, for work. Um, about the rate of it's right after Tyler Glass now said what he had to say, and the rate of Tommy John surgeries to increase fastball velocity, and how mm-hmm. over the last couple of years we've seen a dip in Tommy John from twenty eight yep. from twenty fifteen to twenty to nineteen because twenty twenty you know no one got surgeries and no one was playing half the year, and right. but we still have seen this increase in fastball velocity. In fact, you know for the first half of the decade, fastball velocity increased pretty handily with Tommy John. And then once yep. you hit this point in 2015, Tommy John drops while fastball velocity increases a, a major amount. And yep. that's something I was thinking about with Tyler Glass now said was that baseball players in the, you know, baseball teams in the early 2010s saw this need for increased velocity or saw the desire for increased velocity. And so they started training for increased velocity. And the first outcome of that was more Tommy John, more elbow injuries. Then they found a solution in which they could get increased velocity without the risk of elbow injury, which is the sticky stuff. That's my, this is my theory. That as we I, saw rise in sticky stuff, as we saw teams like the Astros with the spin rate revolution, we saw a drop in Tommy John injuries, but we saw a massive increase in velocity because players were able to throw it a lot harder without putting as much of a strain on your elbow. Well, so there hasn't really ever been... Like that, that doesn't seem to be what spin rate or but what sticky stuff does. Sticky well, stuff. Glassnow it is. Well, what Glassnow was saying is not that. What Glassnow was saying is that he was, because he couldn't get a grip on the ball anymore, he had to grip it harder. And while he was mm-hmm. throwing with the same arm speed as before, gripping it harder is what caused the elbow issues. So but don't don't you think that you know. If you grip it looser, you're going to have to have more control of your arm and having less arm speed on it versus being able to grip it less softer with getting the same amount of sticky stuff. You're putting less of a strain just from the muscles. If you have to grip the ball harder to get get a tight grip on it, to throw it 98, you're putting a lot of the stress from the grip on your elbow. If you're able to grip it less but still get the same amount of control over throwing 98 because you're throwing harder, your arm, yeah, your arm slot's moving the same, but if you're throwing with less control, you have to control your arm differently versus being able to hold it with less grip with sticky stuff, allowing you to kind of just throw as hard as you can. I would be very – like 
I understand the logic there, but everything I've read about sticky stuff suggests that it has nothing to do with velocity. Uh, and, you know, what, what Glasnow said made some sense. Uh, I don't know that it's unbelievable to think that if you don't have as good a grip on the ball, you grip it harder and that causes problems. But I don't think... I don't think you're going to see a dip in velocity. And I don't think over the first week of this, we've seen a dip in velocity. Uh, We have seen a huge dip in spin rate. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you're right that spin rate, especially on fastballs, you know, well, so it does different things with different pitches. Spin rate on four seam fastballs creates that rise, that little hump at the end, the kind of thing that you say turns foul balls into strikeouts. Uh, Spin rate on curveballs does create additional break on curveballs, which makes them harder to hit. Uh, so I don't know if you're going to see. It, it also makes them easier to control. You know, it's easier to snap a curveball when you've got a better grip on it. Uh, so really, you know, and, and this is something that people have been talking about. This, this is something that you mentioned earlier. You know. Doing this experiment mid-season has its problems in that you don't have a baseline. You're sort of screwing with the game just sort of at random, which is not great. Uh, it's going to create all sorts of weird effects. And, and as someone... The weird effects right now with Kyle Schwarber. I don't, I don't think that's spin rate. I just think he's like weirdly in the zone, which I'm I not going to complain I buy, about. I buy the spin rate stuff. Because four I mean, of his yeah. home runs have been a, almost a foot out of the strike zone. Like, you know, he's hitting the fastball up a lot better right now. And I think because the less spin rate, right, if you're seeing the ball longer, that fastball, he's a fastball hitter. If you're able to see that fastball longer, you're going to hit it further. What's funny is that the pitch that he struggled with in the Marlins series was the changeup. And the changeup is the only pitch that isn't really reliant on spin rate junkery. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I have no idea. It's not like it's not like Kyle Schwarber was like. Well, I don't know. You don't really have a baseline because this has been going on in baseball for at least you know most of Kyle Schwarber's career. Yeah. So who knows? But I don't think he's going to turn into Barry Bonds now because no, there's no, no. spin. This is a hot street stretch. But I think I'll be able yeah. to see the ball better now. Maybe. We'll find out. I mean, we're talking about a, a two-and-a-half-week stretch right now. So let's yeah. not draw any huge conclusions from that. But uh, someone mentioned this earlier. Baseball has made all sorts of changes sort of haphazardly over the last five, six, seven years, basically since the end of 2014, which uh, it might not surprise you is the year Bud Selig turned things over to Rob Manfred. Uh, so all of these changes have sort of happened, you know, between the, the decrease in starter innings, which might be another big thing that's factoring into the drop in Tommy John after 2015, to the increase in spin rate, to the, the increase in sign-stealing-based cheating, to the juicing of the ball, to the de-juicing of the ball, to the rejuicing of the ball, to the de-juicing of the ball again. Uh, basically... We have no baseline to measure what effect anything is having on anything else because so much has changed over the last seven years, which is frustrating as someone 
who watches and likes to analyze baseball. But mm-hmm. having said all of that, it's pretty clear that this spin rate nonsense was out of control. Uh, and yeah. it's frustrating to see, as a fan, teams and players, but teams, uh, basically decide that if a rule isn't being enforced, uh, and in this reason, in this case, the rule wasn't being enforced for safety reasons, because both pitchers and hitters like it when pitchers can have a grip on the ball so the ball doesn't come flying into their faces. Uh, they see this rule that isn't being enforced and they decide what that means is if we can break it as much as possible, that's innovation. And that annoys me. And I'm glad to see that kind of stuff finally get punished. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, in, and this is getting punished far more so. I mean, it's all falling on the players again because the league's number one goal is to protect the league. And you can do that by you know punishing the players. And again, I'm fine with the players getting suspended here because there was a rule on the books already saying if you use foreign substances, that's an automatic 10-game suspension. Yeah, no but issue on the flip side, I, I have no problem with the players being suspended from this point on. But the problem is is when you have the league turning... It's the same thing with the steroid era, where you have teams encouraging... I don't know if there's much team encouragement as team turn a blind eye with the steroid era, but in this case, you really do see the team encouragement from it. You know, it's taught in organizationally. So you see a team encouragement, you see a league intentionally turning a blind eye to it, and the players, what are they supposed to do? Not do it? I mean, when you have 90% of the league doing this, it's just... It, it's, it seems like the fault is of the organization, not of the individual. Sure. No, I agree with that. Like this is the to call this a player-driven scheme, like they did with sign stealing, is obvious bullshit. Like no mm-hmm. one, no one in baseball believes that. But you know, no players have been punished for prior action. Yeah. Uh, like I'm fine with them starting the punishment now. Uh, I also it's believe going that to be Hector Santiago only had draws in his glove. Probably. I, I think you would be really, really stupid to try and cheat this week. <laughs> also because, like, when they're coming out to check him, he runs away kind of as a joke. Like, he starts joking around with them. <laughs> he looks so caught off guard about the whole thing. I, I, I don't believe that he was intentionally cheating. Yeah, I mean, although a guy like that, who's basically hanging on to baseball by a thread, like, what does he have to lose even if he gets caught cheating? Like, if he thinks that cheating is the only way to keep him in baseball... Mm. You know, either way, he's not in baseball anymore. Yeah. So, who knows? Vacation. I think the biggest issue that I have with this whole thing is that it's happening mid-season. But I get why it is. And I do think that, like, it's frustrating that they can't come to a, like... Like, the only solution I really see right now is to find a way, like they do in Japan, to tack up the baseball for next year. Because mm-hmm. any, like, if you list a league-approved substance or, like, a group of league-approved substances, what the smart teams are just going to do is find substances stickier than those substances that look like those substances. So, like, you can't, there's no way to do spot checks. Like, if 
Like even if you allowed certain kinds of substances, the reason we have this hardline rule right now is because any other rule would be impossible to enforce. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think like the idea of a league mandate or a league allowed substance is like I like where that thought is because we all agree that pitchers should be able to use something so that hitters don't die. But it just it's not workable as a mid season solution. And I think that the a better solution next year is gonna be making the ball stickier. Mm -hmm. Uh maybe having a frog lick it or something. Add yep. that to the, the rubbing mud. Uh something also I've heard pitchers complain about is the idea that the rubbing mud that's been used in baseball, it's it's called Lena Blackburn's rubbing mud. It's it's got a special location on the Delaware River. Uh, that they've been mining it from for the last 80 years, that, like, umpires or whoever rubs up the ball, because apparently it's, like, not consistent. Sometimes it's the clubhouse managers, sometimes it's the umpires. Apparently, they do a very inconsistent job of rubbing up the balls. And sometimes they rub them up the day before the game, and that, like, they dry out, and then they're like pearls again. Uh, so there are solutions here, but I think everyone's got to admit that this is a problem. And I just, I'm not crazy about Scherzer trying to show everyone up and making all those faces, especially when like he was named in the report, like maybe lay low on this one for a while. I know that he's, you know, heavily involved in the players union. And so maybe he can't do that, but. I don't know. I just I found it a little annoying. Well, so that was that Phillies game. Any other takeaways you see from the um, from this last week? I mean, Schwarber keeps hitting. Soto needs to break out of his mediocrity. Um, you know, he just needs to hit up. I know. Like, why does he keep hitting the ball like 110 miles an hour directly into the ground? Yeah. Apparently, in his latest. And last, Boz chat. Uh, so, say goodbye to Tom Boswell, by the way. Uh, Boswell said that he had spoken to Mike Rizzo repeatedly and that Rizzo had said that there is nothing wrong with Juan Soto yeah, mechanically. I don't. Could be bullshit, could be not. He is still hitting the ball really hard, just directly into the ground. So, I don't know. Stop doing that. I would really like it if you stopped and did that. Oh, the one thing, we talked about this last week, but as the Nats claw closer and closer to contention, like, now is the time to jump the market and get one of the millions of third basemen that are out there. It looks yeah, like Eduardo Escobar is heading to the White Sox, so he's not an option. But, like, there are so just, many Eduardo Escobars out there. Yeah, he's the non-union Mexican equivalent of... Uh, well, I mean, he's Venezuelan, and I think so is Eduardo Escobar, but non-union Mexican equivalent of Eduardo Escobar. Like, just get someone who's better than Starlin Castro. Castro, like, I don't think he's hit a ball to the warning track in two months. Yeah. That's bad. It's not that, great. That can't be all you get out of third base. I think if I this is if my memory is correct, I think he has a higher OPS this year 
than Francisco Lindor. That's kind of funny. It is. But that's not really a comment on Starlin Castro. That's more of a comment on Francisco Lindor. He's been terrible. That kind of segues us perfectly into our our week ahead topic. Right. The Mets are here for one day. It is a thrilling, scintillating pitching matchup between Paolo Espino and Jared Eikhoff. Jared Eikhoff, I bet you forgot that he existed. Yes, I did. Oh, indoors the OPS is way up now. It's at 678. Yep, he's been much better lately. Yes. Uh, And I guess so is Castro a little bit, but I don't know. Uh, The Nats' offense should be more than it is. They are second in batting average, fifth in OBP, and 13th in runs. And some of that is because they still played fewer games than everyone, yada yada. But most of that is because they don't hit a lot of home runs, they don't hit very well with runners in scoring position, and they ground into a shit ton of double plays. The Nets have three of the top four leaders in double plays in baseball. Yeah. They they are just like doing everything they can to get base runners on and then not score them. It's irritating. But, like, they have six players with, with, you know, OPS pluses above league average. That should be a pretty good offense. Like, they've got Gomes, Bell, Harrison, Turner, Schwarber, and Soto all above 100 OPS plus. Like... They should be able to score, like their their team OPS plus is you know without pitchers it's 109. It's a, I mean I don't want to say like the reasons that they haven't scored are apparent and like you can pinpoint them, but even with that, this team should be scoring and it's irritating mm. that they aren't and maybe they'll get hot soon, uh, and they might need it because. They have stretch. one, well, and they have one starting pitcher right now. That's also true. Yeah, yeah. Joe Ross. So, like, Joe Ross has actually been pretty good this year. Yeah, Joe Ross is either uh, really good or really bad. There's no in between. I think he's like nine of his thirteen starts. He's allowed one or fewer run, or something like that. He's got a four twelve ERA this year. Yeah, uh, he also has a lot of unearned runs, basically from two games. Uh, so his, like six six hundred runs, right? Which puts his uh, do do do, um, yeah, it puts his RA nine, uh, at four eighty four, which is you know less good, which is why uh, according to B War he's actually been under replacement level this year, which make of that what you will, and also FIP doesn't like him either because he's been giving up a ton of home runs. But those things really all like having two, been said. two games this year, he's only given up two. He's given up 200 runs against Chicago, and they get 400 runs against um, the Phillies. In the I said it was from two games. Yeah. That's exactly what I said. Yeah, so you, I mean, that's... Also 18 runs in two games. Yeah, those were also not good. Like, no. he has, now that we dive into this, he has had, yes, in nine of his 13 appearances, he's given up two or fewer uh, or 14, nine of, 10 of his 14 games, he's given up two or fewer runs. And then 
In the other four, we've got four runs, five runs, eight runs, and ten runs. So that's pretty much the story of Joe Ross's season. So hopefully, uh, because like you said, the Nats are embarking on basically an impossible stretch of games here. Yep. Uh, they've got one against the Mets. They've got two against the Rays. They've got four against the uh, Dodgers. Then they go out west, and they've got uh, four or seven against the Padres and Giants before the end of the first half. And the thing about all that is if they can get through this stretch, they'll be in pretty good shape, but it's a really, really hard stretch. Uh, I think ideally, uh, ideally they'd win every game. Uh, but I think the best you can hope for here in the next two weeks is seven and seven. Yeah. If they can, I think I if they can go that. seven and seven, five, if you get to the all-star break at one game under 500, yep. I think you're in pretty decent shape. I mean, it's the Mets are still metting it up. I don't think you'll be out of, you certainly won't be out of contention. Not even close. If you go seven and seven. Yep. Uh, I mean, you're, three, yeah, I, you'll, you're four games back today with an opportunity to be three games back by the end of the day. You're, you're not in a bad position at all. Well, so the problem is that it's not just the Mets. The Nats are a game up on the Braves and the Phillies, and any one of those teams could catch fire too. But we're talking about, you know, yeah, if they go 7-7, seven and seven, and even if another team goes, you know, 10-3, and three, you only lose three and a half games there. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, catastrophic. And the Nats have a... They have a difficult rest of July. They have an easier August, and then mostly they have a cakewalk September. Yeah, it's mostly in division. Right, uh, which gives you a lot of time to make up. I mean, like this is obviously, you know, people have been comparing this team to the twenty nineteen team for, I guess, good reason, just because. The team has good vibes, and everyone likes good vibes. And Gerardo Parra is back. Yes, and he's in the starting lineup today because uh, Robles still has a little bit of trouble with that uh, knee that he got I don't understand injured. why we can't call Luis Garcia. I don't know. why. I mean, we're, we're carrying so many pitchers right now. We have... Nine pitchers. I mean, I know Rodriguez is going to get used today, but why is Andres Machado here? Like, what what situation short of a blowout is Andres Machado going to pitch in? I don't know. There needs to, like, this team is now, basically, if Robles can't hit today, they're three deep on the bench. Like, they need Garcia. It would be great to also have Yadiel Hernandez. So... I don't know. It, it's just, it's kind of irritating. But yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna change anything. Uh, so as we said, uh, I'm just looking at the the schedule for July. Uh, yeah, after after the All Star break, the Nets have four uh, three at home against the Padres, uh, then three at the Marlins. And three, or three with the Marlins, and then three at the Orioles, and four at the Phillies. So, 
You know, they, they've got basically 17 straight games against really good teams. And if they can weather that storm and stay around 500, they're very much into this. Uh, mm. You know, this, you know, Tom Boswell had his chat again, not to reference it, but it's the last one. And so I want to, you know, make a quasi big deal about it. Uh, and he said, like, this team does not have as much talent as the 2019 team. No, and that not, is, not even close. Right. Completely evidently true. Even if Strasburg mm-hmm. were somehow to come back and uh, dominate whenever we he gets back. We don't have Anthony Rendon. Right. We Anthony Rendon with Starling Castro. Yeah, that's a bad trade-off. Yes. And Patrick Corbin with the bad version of Patrick Corbin, uh, which wasn't smart. They should have gotten the good version instead. Uh, but beyond that, you're looking at a vision a division that is just not as good as it was in 2019, uh, which, you know, can hide a lot of wounds. Like, one team is going to get hot and win this division. There's no real reason it can't be the Nats. So, who knows? Are they good? Does it matter? All questions you have to ask yourself. But I think that's it for us today. Yep, and as long as they stay entertaining, we'll keep talking. So hopefully they'll uh, not embarrass themselves this week, and we'll do a podcast next week. Yes, yes, sir. All right. Until then. Bye.